Welcome to the Gut Doctor Podcast, where Dr. Neil Parikh describes GI disorders and answers common questions related to the GI tract. Please note this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Gut Doctor. Today we have Dr. Jeff Weiser, one of my partners here in Connecticut GI and an avid cyclist. Uh, Jeff's going to talk to us about exercise and gut health. Uh, Jeff, I appreciate the time today and welcome aboard. Thanks for having me. So before we get into things, give me a sense. Have you always incorporated physical fitness or exercise in your life? Definitely not. Uh, It wasn't until I was about 39 and a half uh, that I started exercising regularly. It was around New Year's of that year. Uh, I realized I was really terribly out of shape and I needed to do something for myself or I was going to wipe out on a bunch of medications that I was trying to avoid. Uh, I heard about this charity bike ride called Israel Ride, which raises funds for environmental causes. The ride was 300 miles over five days, which at the time really seemed like quite a challenge for me, something I wanted to try. Uh, But I also realized that if I was going to complete it, I really needed to train. Uh, this was at that time a, a very uh, big challenge for me. Uh, my some of my staff didn't think I'd be able to finish it. I had a couple of staff uh, really concerned that I something bad might happen to me on the ride. Uh, but I was happy I was able to finish the ride, and I've been working out and cycling regularly ever since. Wow, three hundred miles! That's that's incredible. Did you notice any sort of change after this kind of 300-mile ride or after you started exercising in general? Oh, sure. Yeah, you notice a change afterwards, but but also during. Uh, you know, some changes are you know maybe kind of on, on the obvious side, you know, visible weight loss. Uh, but some things you can't see. Uh, lower blood pressure, a, a significantly lower resting pulse. I my resting pulse before I started exercising was close to 90. And actually for me, that was, that was a, a, an alarm bell. Uh, my energy levels increased, my mood improved, stress levels felt better. And ironically, for a lot of the time, not all the time, but for a lot of time, appetite actually decreased. Interesting. So you mentioned appetite and you know, I guess into the GI tract. Yeah, I agree. Most times when we think of exercise, typically we think of cardiovascular benefits or metabolic benefits, but so your appetite decreased, your your stress levels decreased, and those can obviously have gut health benefits too. So as a gastroenterologist, can you comment more on the effects exercise have on digestive health? Sure. The effects really are, are numerous, and we'll, we'll mention a, a number of them, though really not quite all of them. Um, you know, you and I, we, we all see patients um, who have constipation. Uh, it's, it's a chronic issue for a lot of individuals, and there are a lot of p- potential causes. Uh, and exercise can be very beneficial for many. Uh, it decreases stool transit time and certainly can increase uh, with, with bloating. Um, exercise does promote a healthier sleep. Uh, people can fall asleep faster. Uh, patients have a subjective sense that they've slept better. Uh, and better sleep leads to improvement in other things, uh, particularly in IBS. Uh, we see a lot of IBS. Better sleep can help. Lower stress levels can help. And exercise really uh, falls into all this. Um, we did mention weight loss briefly earlier. 
Um, and weight loss uh, has some direct uh, health benefits, really specifically for the GI system. Uh, two of the more common ones that we see are, are reflux uh, and fatty liver. Fatty liver is certainly silent, uh, but what we advise really, I think all our patients, is weight loss is key to try to get a handle on fatty liver. So weight loss will certainly uh, help with a fatty liver. Uh, a lot of uh, patients do ask us about uh, GI flora, and actually that's a, uh, a complicated topic. Um, but ex regular exercise can have a beneficial effect on our gut microbiota. By having this beneficial effect, we also can decrease the inflammatory markers within the gut and therefore within the systemic uh, in, uh, circulation and decrease uh, in, in inflammatory state. Uh, we mentioned stress. Uh, decreased stress can help with a number of conditions, IBS in particular. Uh, bloating can improve. Uh, what we don't talk about, and it's a bit hard to quantitate, is cancer risk. There are some studies uh, suggesting that regular exercise can lower colon cancer risk uh, for about up to 25%. And with, as regarding the inflammatory burden, uh, we can see a decrease in IBD flares uh, if the inflammatory burden of an individual has has decreased. Yeah, I recently recorded an episode with uh, an epidemiologist out of Penn, Dr. Nandy, and he was saying the same thing. We talked about you know fitness and wellness, fitness and nutrition, and IBD specifically. And there's some very interesting mouse models now of reducing the inflammatory burden, reducing the cytokines. And he was even talking about some of the same newer therapies we have that, you know, target these cytokines and interleukins, those same pathways are affected by exercise alone. Um, so that's, that's, I think, a lot more to come on that, that avenue. You also mentioned weight loss, and I think weight loss is key for maybe two or three of the most common conditions, you know, GERD, gastroesophageal reflux disease, and fatty liver. What do we talk about treatment? Treatment is, yeah, you can give medications, but in the end, the ultimate treatment, like you said, is weight loss. And exercise and quote-unquote healthy living is the key to that weight loss. So you're right on with both those things. What about specific exercises? Do you, are, are there any specifically you recommend to your patients for gut health? Well, first, before recommending any specific workout regimen, um, I do recommend that, uh, that your listeners do touch base with their physician, particularly if they have uh, significant underlying health issues. With all that being said though, what I generally would recommend is an aerobic type activity uh, and and those there are multiple activities you can choose from cycling, running, walking, swimming, elliptical, rowing. Um, but you should pick a, 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 an activity that is sustainable and also that you enjoy. Uh, something that you think you, know, you can do for for the long term. Uh, cross training is great if, if somebody uh, has the ability to do that. Uh, but with any of these uh, activities. Certainly, if you haven't done this in a long time, I would recommend starting slow and working up to longer and more strenuous sessions. The patients ask me about weight training programs, and I think they're great, that they're complementary. I incorporate them myself. But you know, for some of these beneficial health effects that we're talking about, I think we're really more talking about the aerobic activities. But for, for strength, uh, certainly uh, helping the core, the abdominal muscles, uh, can help uh, with bloating for a number of individuals. Uh, 
lastly, uh, yoga is very popular and, and I do recommend it. I think it has a lot of health benefits, but in full disclosure, it's not something that I've incorporated to my personal regimen as of yet. I, I say the same thing with yoga. And even when I recorded an episode earlier um, with yoga, I, I, it was the yoga instructor and physician. And I said that, yeah, I talked to people saying yoga is good for you, but I, I can't, full disclaimer, I can't say I've done it myself. Uh, I think you mentioned a lot of other key points there. I want to stress to our listeners too. One, touch base with your provider, touch base with your physician. Really, whenever you're incorporating any new activity, exercise routine, just make sure if you have underlying health conditions that you you go over those with your primary provider. The second thing I think you mentioned, which was key, is enjoyment and sustainability. Even when we talk to dietitians and we discuss different diets, if it's not something that you can sustain, it's likely not worth pursuing, you know, beyond a few t- goes at it. And I think if you enjoy something, if you enjoy the activity, you're more likely to sustain it and it's going to give you more long-term benefits. So along those lines, I think the hardest thing, at least one for me is that the, you know, how do you get into exercise? Cause I know if I exercise and if I get into a routine, I will eat better. I'll sleep better. I'll be more energetic, but it's just getting started, which is hard. Any tips for that? Yeah. Um, I, I, it's helpful to find a motivator and that's going to be different for different people. And I can't really can't give a specific recommendation for, for everybody. You have to find what works for you. Um, sometimes setting a specific fitness goal uh, can, can uh, set a challenge can be helpful, but it shouldn't be unrealistic. Uh, I don't think you could decide at the end of June that you're going to run the New York city marathon uh, in the fall, uh, but also shouldn't be too easy. Uh, pick something that's a challenge but doable. And once you reach that goal, set a new one. You want to keep up the momentum to vo- avoid falling back into perhaps what may be, what may be some bad habits. Uh, for other people, it's just the idea of getting in, in, in a better health condition, uh, getting in better shape to keep up with your kids or grandkids, or wanting to be there uh, when grandkids get married and, and graduate, or, or being health, uh, healthier for an upcoming family event. So some of that may involve a little bit of soul searching, but you know, you, it, it is helpful to find a motivator for yourself. With all these interventions, whether it's pharmaceutical, lifestyle, herbal supplements, I always like to bring up these episodes, adverse issues or um, negative things. So when it, there are, you know, and we both have come across these, there are conditions that are adversely affected or adversely the result of exercise. Can you mention some of those? Sure. And I'll try to limit my comments to some of the GI specific uh, uh, issues. Um, perhaps the more common issue that I would see in a patient coming into the office is runner's diarrhea. You know, somebody who, who's completed a marathon or a half marathon or has trouble completing it. Uh, runner's diarrhea is, is reasonably common, probably roughly around 20% of uh, long distance runners. We are talking about long distance, not really short sprints. Uh, And kind of definition is having the urge to have a bowel movement uh, or having diarrhea that interrupts the activity. The cause is not really clear. There's some uh, proposals out there for some hormonal uh, causes, uh, a change in motility. I kind of like idea of, of, of a vascular cause. Uh, but the good news is the symptoms generally resolve within 24 hours. Some tips to avoid it uh, would be uh, good hydration. 
uh, avoiding uh, high calorie or high glycemic or high, very fatty meals within a few hours prior to exercise. Uh, if symptoms are happening, decreasing the intensity or duration may, uh, might be helpful. That oftentimes may not be realistic if you're in a, an endurance event like a marathon or, or half, half marathon. Um, we also can see some upper GI-related symptoms, uh, perhaps some increased belching. Um, not dangerous, but maybe a little unpleasant. Uh, there can be some increase in intra-abdominal pressure. Uh, perhaps due to deep inhalation where we overcome the natural barrier of the diaphragm and the bottom of the esophagus or lower esophageal sphincter. Uh, something that I might get uh, from time to time as long, along with many other people is something called a stitch. Uh, it, it kind of, it's unpleasant, it's, it's uh, pretty benign. Uh, it's a localized transient uh, pain uh, you know, uh, somewhere in the abdomen. Uh, usually resolves pretty quickly with a decrease in activity. Um, if it doesn't resolve it's, uh, quickly, that's probably not the problem. Uh, there are a number of uh, proposed mechanisms for this. Um, maybe a localized lack of blood flow or temporary lack of blood flow, some stress on, on ligaments, uh, maybe some irritation of the peritoneum or the lining of, uh, of the abdomen. Uh, a couple of things, you know, I mentioned earlier about you know, not eating before exercise, you know, can be helpful. And that is you know, overall true, but, but something that endurance athletes uh, should watch out for or, or perhaps uh, have experienced is something called bonking. Uh, bonking is a, a rather unpleasant phenomenon uh, that happens in endurance athletes. Uh, and that's what happens is you've gone so long for so hard uh, without repleting your nutrients, you've actually exhausted your glycogen stores. Uh, the symptoms um, uh, can be an atypical, atypical fatigue. So it's not just much, just not being not just being tired, but being way more tired than you should be for the level of exertion that you're doing. Uh, poor coordination, perhaps poor judgment, and a general just sense of feeling poorly. Uh, uh, this oftentimes it can be avoided uh, by eating smaller bits during these long exercise uh, sessions. So you all I want, you know, I want to take a moment to specifically talk about IBD and, and uh, for, for our patients with inflammatory bowel disease and Crohn's and ulcerative colitis. Uh, these patients really can have some significant challenges in, in developing a workout routine. And there is a resource uh, available through Crohn's Colitis Foundation uh, and uh, if your listeners are not familiar with Crohn's Colitis Foundation, particularly if they have IBD, I just really encourage that, that they look them up and get involved. Uh, but they do have a, a program called Team Challenge, which a number of our, uh, our, our docs and staff have participated in. Uh, and this is a program for uh, patients who, you know, for individuals who don't have IBD, but certainly for patients who do, um, that offers coaching for their events, which uh, are, are marathons or, or in long walks and bike rides. Um, it's a nice group, it's a devoted group. I've participated in several events and I, I would encourage your, your listeners uh, to reach out to them if there's something they're interested in. And I'd also like to put a plug in for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation, which is another organization that I'm involved in. Uh, this year, hopefully I'll be completing my ninth and 10th rides it's a very well-run organization helping support juvenile diabetes research. And if your listeners are, are, are curious, they can log on to ride.jdrf.org. Jeff, that's both um, 
I'll make sure that in our podcast link for this episode, I'll have both those links, the Crohn's Calais Foundation Team Challenge and the, the JDRF Ride on there because you know, I think those are both fantastic organizations and great causes. And again, a way to, you know, you mentioned earlier, motivation, like what what is your goal? Start with the goal. And maybe one of these rides, you know, whatever level our listeners feel comfortable with, maybe one of those goals. And that may be the starting point for their their exercise and gut health journey. Absolutely. Thank you again for spending this time with me. I think this was fantastic. I know our listeners will appreciate it. And I look forward to doing more of these in the future. My pleasure, Neil.